Good morning. Glad you're with us today. We're going to uh, break from our series today on First Thessalonians, only because of the most recent events, and I don't know. I guess I just feel motivated to address it in some capacity. And by that I'm dealing with the shooting that occurred on Wednesday at Parkland, Florida. And it seems as though these happen frequently. But that may just be because they are sensationalized and they're talked about an awful lot. The news is still talking about it and we'll talk about it probably for another couple of weeks. And the pundits will have their ideas and politicalization of it will extend on both sides for stricter gun control and and others who take the opposite approach saying that laws were on the books that were not enforced, which is, of course, true. And I don't have an answer and people will come and look at various, what are the root causes of a man who will do such things. And I have questions. I don't have, well, I have one answer. You might say it's a, it's a, a, an idealistic answer and it'll never happen. I don't know. What happened in Parkland, Florida? Nicholas Cruz, age 19, shot and killed 17 people. I think he may have wounded 14 others, although I've forgotten the statistics. This follows on the heels of other shootings at schools, churches. In fact, this morning I noticed on a Fox News uh, news feed that there was a church shooting in Russia. So we're not immune, uh, the only ones who are having such shootings that take place. They happen in other places as well. The neighbors said that Police cars were regularly in the mother's driveway of Mr. Cruz. That he had been expelled from the school that he returned to to bring the mayhem and the massacre that he did. He posted pictures of weapons and dead animals on his social media pages. And while there were probably some common mischievous things that a teenager would do in his growing up years that really would amount to nothing... There was a YouTube post in which he stated that he wanted to be a professional school shooter. Even more troubling by the fact that the FBI said that they couldn't determine who posted it, even though his name was assigned to it. I don't know why they didn't ask for an IP address. They have found evidence of Russian meddling in elections and other places. Why couldn't they find and determine what was going on here? Questions that I don't have answers to, nor do they. Mr. Cruz and his brother Zachary had been adopted. They were raised, for the most part, by their adoptive mother because their father, Roger Cruz, died suddenly in 2004, 14 years ago. If Nicholas would have been adopted as a baby, his father would have died when he was age five. And then his mother died at the age, died just in November. What does a 19-year-old adopted child do for family? He probably had questions as any adoptive child had about his past. 
Why was he put up for adoption? Maybe his parents put it up, told him, explained things to him from the very beginning. I don't know. But I do know that he had some problems. My question today is, what's going on in our world? It seems as though that we are on some sort of a slippery slope leading us down a dark path. In Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. Judges 17 verse 6. This is a sad verse in scripture. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's also found at the close of the book of Judges in chapter 21 and verse 25. It seems as though that we are on a slippery slope which which everyone wants to do what they want to do. Whatever is right in their own eyes. You mention any type of morality as being the reason why this has happened. That it is a moral issue. It is a crime of the heart. And thinking of Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately, desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's a heart issue. After I heard about the shooting, I posted on my personal Facebook page, What are we to expect? I noted that the political pundits on both sides of the aisle will circle the wagons for their positions and there will be cries out for more gun control and they will be saying, no, we have a constitutional amendment, which we do. But regardless of what happens, people can kill people with any means necessary at their disposal. Cain killed his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4 it just simply says in verse 8 Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they were in the field Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him I don't know how he did it did he hit him with a rock did he strangle him did he hit him with some implement that they were using in the garden in the field a staff doesn't matter he killed him He murdered his brother. On my Facebook post, I noted that there's going to be the politicalization of this. And I said, but what do we really expect in a society that has killed 63 million babies via abortion? I got some pushback. I had a nice conversation. It was respectful with one of my friends because she reposted it and he took the opposite side. That abortion is okay. And what would you have them do? Go to these women do go to a back alley and lose their lives? Said you haven't answered my question. It's still a moral issue. And we have moved from the approval of aborting babies in this country in 1973, when those that's where I get that figure, to where just a few years ago there were a couple of medical ethicists in the UK that were saying that it should be okay to kill a child up to age two years of age if it has some type of a defect. Now that is really getting out there. I just can't imagine why people can think that way. Mental illness is a problem. Video games may or may not be a problem. 
when people are rewarded for killing the opposition in a video game. It may desensitize them to what's really going on in the world. But what if you could stop a Nicholas Cruz? What if you could stop a Jeffrey Dahmer, who many years ago was a serial killer before he died in prison, who also obeyed the gospel before he was murdered in prison? And we thank God for that. In 2002 or 2003, there was a movie out titled The Minority Report. It starred Tom Cruise and I forget who else. There were these three psychic beings that was kind of in, a, in the year, put in the year 2054 in Washington, D.C. and all the technology that was going on. It was your really stuff of the future. After all, it was 2002. Okay. But these psychics were in this room and they could tell when somebody was going to commit a murder and they would arrest and try him before the crime was committed. Sounds kind of cool. But a crime hadn't been committed yet. And there's a little thing about behavior that while a person may have something there and they may be motivated until they do it, have they really done it? And of course, the action answer is no. Tom Cruise played the head of this pre-crime unit, and then he himself was accused of the future murder of a man whom he hadn't even met. And he knew that couldn't be, and so he was trying to unravel how these pre-cogs, they called them, did their thing, and why they should be believed and trusted. We don't live in a world like that, thankfully. But if you could stop somebody from committing murder, would you do it? And I think every one of us would say, if I knew how, I would do it. In Exodus chapter 20, we've been talking about becoming spiritual on our class on Wednesday nights. Spiritual men, spiritual women. Knowledge of the Word of God alone is not going to make a person spiritual. It will make them arrogant. But it will not draw them closer to God. The Pharisees pretty well knew the scriptures. And they identified it and defined it. And said, this is how you keep the law. And their hearts were far from God. Becoming spiritual is becoming more trusting and closer to God day by day. And where we were on Wednesdays in the study of the Ten Commandments was that those provided a foundation of covenant relationship with God, their fellow man. And so just to summarize them for you, as we've looked at them on Wednesday, and as I pull all of my remarks to this about where I'm going about, we have the ability, we have the ability to perhaps stop a crime before it's committed. And it doesn't take a science fiction movie to see the reality of what I will say. But in Genesis chapter 20, God says in verse 1, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Now I'm summarizing them, okay? I'm not reading the full text. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
honor your father and mother. As I stated on Wednesday, I believe those first five commandments deal with our relationship to God. Because when you put God at the top and you respect and honor Him in all ways by He is God, you're not going to make an idol. And when you don't make an idol, you have to trust what you don't see by what He has done and what He has said. And when you don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, you are showing Him the respect that Jehovah God is due. And we have to watch that, as we said on Wednesday. We have to discipline our speech. OMG is short for, oh my God. I would submit to you that's taking the name of God in vain. It's counting it as something that's nothing. And I know our kids do it. I know it's done in schools. It's done on TV. You can't, I had a friend who, on my post, that's what she put. On one of my posts. It wasn't this one I'm talking about. But it was a different, on a post... She saw something and said, OMG. I'm thinking, what? I hate it. They deal with our relationship to God. You honor your father and mother because they gave you life. God gave life. You honor Him. The next five deal with our relationship to man. For social cohesiveness in the community and the relationship that we have with one another. For these are practiced, you don't have anything to worry about as you go about your daily life, do you? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. If you're not coveting, you're not thinking constantly about why somebody has it better than you and wanting them and trying to maybe come up with ways you can get what they have. If you're not bearing false witness, when you bear false witness, we said that you're taking somebody's character and slandering it. It's pretty much, if you slander their character, what do they have left? You just as well kill them. Because in a sense you have, well not physically, but you have demeaned their character in such a way, they can't get along in life. The Ten Commandments give us a foundation. I had a college professor when I was working on my master's degree at Fort Hayes State University in counseling. He said, if you join the American Counseling Society or Association, you have their code of ethics. If you join this subchapter or this subchapter, they all have their code of ethics. He said, I thought we had a pretty good code given a long time ago. There were ten basic ones. Those serve the foundation for society and community. A covenant relationship with God. Recognizing He is God and I'll worship Him only. I will do what He says in the community in which I'm a part of. Now I know this was His kingdom to Israel, but think of what He said to them in Exodus chapter 19. Verses 4 through 6. You yourselves, Exodus 19, 4 through 6, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my own possession among all the peoples of the earth, for all is my, the, all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Now, if we just jump over to, for a moment to, second, to 1 Peter chapter 2, 
we'll see that Peter picks that same thought up when he's talking to the churches of dispersion. He's reminded them of the salvation that they have in Christ. That they're going under testing, proving of their faith, chapter 1. But he says to them in verse 9 and 10, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, God has given us purpose to declare his excellencies to the world. What does that have to do with stopping crime? Stopping a mass murderer who may or may not be mentally ill. I think a lot of the things that we call mental illness are really an attribute of society of selfishness. Now, he may have had some mental illness. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist. I haven't diagnosed him. But I think it's so unjust to people in general when we say that, oh, that person was mentally ill. He had a lot of struggles. And it was just the other day that Thomas, uh, that Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice, said that his victimization in our society is wearing me down. He says, my grandfather said, so you've been dealt a bad hand, play it. I don't want people to be abused and mistreated in any fashion. But there's a bad hand, you deal with it, you overcome it, you get through it to the best of your ability. And then you move on. How can we stop crime? How can we stop Nicholas Cruz? Or the church shooter in Texas? Who should have been prevented by law, was prevented by law from purchasing firearms. Didn't stop him because the Air Force dropped the ball. Didn't put him on the database. Where there's a law, people will break it. That's why they're criminals. Where there's a law, people will drop the ball and not report something. Law is not the answer, the heart is. The heart is deceitful. We have to change the heart. And that's what the gospel is all about. Proclaiming the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness into his light. You see, we were given a mission. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Why do we do that? Oh, so they'll be saved. So they'll have eternal life. That's great. That's right. But do we also forget the part that if they become a disciple of Christ, that their lives will be changed and that they will be better citizens in community? You could go into Detroit, a violent city in those sections, and your life is in your own hands. But what if you went in there and converted many of those people and gave them hope of tomorrow, that this world is not where it ends? And though it may be tough here today, that if they want to live forever in the presence of God and have all these things seem as nothing, then obey the gospel. If you converted those people in Detroit in those rough areas, would it be safer if they were living the Christian life? Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the things you've heard of and seen in me in the presence of many witnesses, you teach the faithful men who will teach others also. 
You see, that becomes the cycle. And we should definitely be teaching our children and our children's children. Because as grandparents, we have influence over them. And we can teach them. And we can encourage our children. They've got to carry the ball. They've got to pass the baton of faith to another generation so that they'll have it. Now, think about this. Somebody got to Jeffrey Dahmer in prison. He came across a track for a Bible study. He did it through correspondence. And he comes up and he says, he writes that person and says, I need to talk to a preacher. I need to be baptized. So she put him in touch with somebody who got him in touch with a preacher there. And he got into, got clearance, got to go to the prison and was able to talk and study with Mr. Dahmer. And he was immersed into Christ. What if somebody would have gotten to Mr. Dahmer when he was 10 years old? 15 years old? Maybe he wouldn't have done the things that he was that he did. Maybe instead of being a murderer, a serial murderer, he would have been a Christian and a preacher or a strong member, faithful member in the congregation. Lives might have been saved. Same thing with Mr. Cruz. Well, you don't know that's going to happen. Well, couldn't it? Because the gospel changes lives. Think about Saul of Tarsus. What was he doing in the early days of the church? According to, yeah, what was that? Yeah. According to Acts, in chapter 9, prior to that, he'd been, he was there at the stoning of Stephen. He got letters from the elders, Pharisees, to arrest Christians. He was persecuting by his own words in Galatians chapter 1. He was persecuting the church beyond measure. Until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. But that in itself wasn't enough. He was told what to do. He said, get up, go to the street, in Damascus, a street called Straight, and inquire for a man of Judas, for a man named Tarsus. He told Ananias this. He said, he's seen, he's seen one coming to him, that he might regain his sight. Ananias didn't want to do it. He wanted to play the part of Jonah. You know, if there would have been a ship bound for Tarshish, Ananias might have wanted to get on it. Because he goes, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And you want me to go talk to him? Now, I added that right, last part, okay? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Now, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias went to him. Probably with fear and trembling. Because here's a man who's got letters that can arrest him and put him in jail. Put him in prison, have him executed. I don't think Ananias took this lightly. But God said, go, and he went. And as I was thinking, you know, Paul's testimony is he defended himself before the Jews in Acts 22. He tells them what happened to him, how he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, this bright light. He said, what shall I do? He was told what he would do, and he recounts that all to him. And Ananias is teaching them, he's he's responding to Ananias in verse 12 and 22 and following. And he says in verse 15, for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. 
And then the verse that we can quote so easily rolls off our tongues. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Now I don't know if maybe Saul was a little hesitant. But I do know that on Pentecost, when Peter and the rest of the apostles were preaching, those 3,000 that we fondly talked about of being immersed that day weren't just done immediately. For they heard the word that was proclaimed to them, it says in verse 37, when they heard this, Acts chapter 2, and you're so familiar with the passage I didn't even think to call it out, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Now they didn't immediately jump up and say, where's the water? I'm ready. Why do I say that? Because the next verse. And with many other words. How many words? I don't know. Many other words. He he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. They still needed persuasion. And he kept on preaching. And then finally it says, So then those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Their lives were changed. Maybe there was just a little delay and it took a little bit more you know, appeal to get them to obey the gospel. I don't know. It just kind of sounds that way to me. It took a little time. So why are you waiting? Why do you delay? You've heard what I've said. You've met the Lord Jesus. What are you waiting for? Say, you know, arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Because the time is important. What if somebody would have, you know what happened to Paul? Instead of persecuting the church, he's a staunch defender of the church, confusing and confounding the Jews from the day after his conversion. I know you're going to say, well, yeah, God miraculously worked through him. Power was still in the word of God. That word was confirmed, yes, by miracles that Paul was doing and various things. And he had knowledge that if we read and study our Bibles, we will have knowledge as well. And when we have faith, even as the grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea, and Jesus said it would happen. I don't know that anybody's talent taking Jesus up on that. I haven't. I don't know that my faith is that great. I do know that my Old Testament heroes, Enoch, is the one. You've heard me talk about Enoch. Everybody's living 700, 600, 900 years and more. He lives 300 and some. He walked with God, and God took him. Has God taken any of us because we walked with him? What's it mean to walk with God? I really would like to talk to Enoch and find out. Because I think he has the keys to about becoming spiritual and trusting God. Because God took him when everybody else was there a long time. He didn't. God took him. He didn't die. God took him. If somebody would have got to Nicholas Cruz's family when his father and mother died, maybe there was a network of brothers and sisters in Christ who would have taken them, him under their wings prior to that, encouraging them, loving them, greeting them. Consider the one 
another passages. Love one another. Greet one another. There was a video that I saw the other day about, and this one snippet in the video was, here comes this girl going up to the classes in the high school. She looks kind of like old school, you know, just kind of dressed kind of homely, if you will. And these three popular girls, one of them says, hi, with a smile on her face. And she, her day's brightened up, and she says, hi, back. And she continues on her way, and there's two boys come out of a classroom, and she says hi to them. And they go hi, and he, one boy turns and says, she talked to me. Like, I couldn't believe it. It, it runs. It rubs off. When you treat somebody the way God has told us to treat one another in the church, when we do that, it changes lives. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, He was talking to His disciples there in Matthew 15 about the tradition of the Pharisees. They didn't wash, the disciples didn't wash their hands like the Pharisees did. And he told them a parable in Matthew 15. And he says, It's not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. The disciples of the Pharisees were offended by this. And he told them, You know, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. If a blind man guides the blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. We don't understand it. Jesus said, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. How many of those things were found in the Ten Commandments? A lot of them. Most of them. Maybe all of them at some level. Those are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. It's what's in the heart. That's why it's a heart problem. That's why we have to change the heart. So that people won't want to do these things. They'll have a higher calling. But that's not the only reason. Maybe it wouldn't have changed Nicholas Cruz. Maybe we couldn't have converted his family. Maybe nothing, none of that would have happened. We still have 17 people who are dead. What if somebody got to them with the gospel of Christ? Do you know where they are right now? Are they in paradise with Abraham? Or are they in torment with the rich man? Rich man and Lazarus? I don't know. I don't know what their life before God was like. But I do know if we're preaching the gospel, we won't have to worry. Because those whom we bring to Christ... And be with God. Those whom we bring to Christ that may have may commit a crime in the future, generation or two away, they won't commit that crime. They won't become. What if somebody would have gotten a hold of Karl Marx's family? We might not have had a communist Russia. Because Lenin really loved Marx's writings, atheistic writings that he did. Stalin loved them. Mao loved them. They killed millions of people. It's a heart problem. And we have the message to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Giving them life and giving them hope. 
And if if they don't obey, maybe the hope will be in those who are killed. Because they'll have life. Either way, we've got a message. We've got an answer. We just have to get Christianity out of our buildings, out of our homes, and into the lives of people. Because they're just like you and me. They need to hear the gospel. I couldn't find the Narsong book. So I pulled it up on the internet. It's an old song. I think it might be in our older songbook, and I didn't think to look in that one. You never mentioned him to me. When in the better land before the bar we stand, how griefly, how deeply grieved our souls will be if any lost over one over there should cry in deep despair. You never mentioned him to me. Oh, let us spread the word where'er it may be heard, help groping souls the light to see, that yonder none may say, you showed me not the way, you never mentioned him to me. A few sweet words may guide a lost one to his side, or turn sad eyes on Calvary, so as work, so work as days go by that yonder none may cry, you never mentioned him to me. And the chorus just simply says, You never mentioned him to me, nor helped me the light to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray. You never mentioned him to me. Uh, Those words, we should learn that song, and it should be sung regularly. So that we'll remember our purpose. To proclaim the gospel that people might know Christ. That they may know eternal life. In Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, killing of Abel by Cain, verse 9 and 10. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The blood of those who've gone on, died unjustly, maybe they're in Parkland, Florida, maybe crying to God for righteousness and justice to be in the land that people will have their lives changed. If Nicholas K. or Cruz is executed for his crimes, Maybe his blood will be crying from the ground because nobody ever talked to him about Christ. You see, church, we have an answer. I know it's kind of idealistic, but we have the answer. It's to change the hearts and lives of people. So where are you today with your heart? There may be one here today who's not obeyed the gospel. You need to do it. All things are ready. It may be that you're here, you have obeyed the gospel, maybe, oh, you can quote book, chapter, and verse, but maybe your life really isn't in tune with the way God wants you to live. All things are ready. We can come to Christ at any time. But if you need to come to Christ today, because you've been convicted by Christ's word, why don't you please come to Him? Once again, we stand. Oh, no, 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 no,